The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Strange New Worlds episode, Ghosts of Illyria. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Nanu, Nanu. <laughs> Hello, Mark. And Father Cory Stiga. Hi, Father oh, Cory. Wrong, wrong franchise. Shazbot. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in, Orson. <laughs> and, and Father Cory Stiga. Hi, Father Cory. How's it going, Dom? I'm not as clever as Jimmy, so I can't come up with something. <laughs> Folks, be sure to follow the secrets of Star Trek and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Tune in your favorite podcast app or at the StarQuest YouTube channel. We should also be sure to hit the bell to get notifications. Uh, stick around to the end. We've got some great feedback at the end of this episode. And I want to tell you about another show of the network. It's just a, this is a special mention, by the way, because The Secrets of Star Wars this week, episode 118, has that comes out on Tuesday uh, after this show has come out. So by the time you listen to this, you may have heard it. Uh, you, you may It may already be out. They have an interview with John Jackson Miller, who's the author of both several Star Wars books, but also several Star Trek novels, including several featuring Captain Pike's Enterprise, including Enterprise War, which is the book we were giving away to patrons not long ago, uh, but also uh, a new book that came out last August featuring Cristobal Rios uh, called Rogue Star Trek Rogue Elements, I think it's called uh, off the top of my head. And he said in that uh, podcast interview, that's his favorite project he's done so far that it's uh, it's 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 kind of a, a a romp, I think, is how he described it. So definitely check out Secrets of Star Wars number 118, that interview with John Jackson Miller. Your Star Trek fans will will really enjoy that. So let's talk about this Ghosts of Illyria with Strange New Worlds. And uh, Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens? This week, our Let's Meet the Crew of the Enterprise episode focuses on Una Chin Riley, or number one, as the opening log reveals to us. Uh, the Enterprise has come to a planet that was a home to colonists belonging to a race known as the Illyrians, who had genetically engineered themselves, and so they were not allowed to join the Federation. We need to have transporter and communication problems for this story to work, so of course there's an ion storm, or a thunderstorm, as we call it on Earth. <laughs> Number one gets uh, most of the landing party back up to the ship, but Captain Pike and Spock are stranded on the surface. Once aboard, a strange virus that is spread by light starts infecting the crew, and they become obsessed with getting more light on their bodies, and they start doing suicidal things, like, you know, trying to release the energy in the warp core to get more light. Back on the planet, uh, strange energy creatures protect Pike and Spock from the storm, and Spock learns that the creatures are the missing Illyrian colonists who accidentally created the virus. Big surprise, the episode is called Ghosts of Illyria. What did you expect to happen? <laughs> yeah. In a desperate attempt to, uh, they created this virus in a desperate attempt to de-genetically engineer themselves so they could join the Federation. On the ship, number one, uh, strangely turns out to be the only one immune to the virus. Only it's not so strange because it turns out she's a genetically engineered Illyrian augment. 
Eventually, La'an develops antibodies to the virus by being near number one during the warp core overload event, and they use the antibodies to cure everybody. Number one then tries to resign her commission in Starfleet as she lied about her genetic status to get in, but Pike rejects the offer and won't turn her in. It all, it's also revealed that the reason the light virus got on board was because of a malfunction in Dr. Mbenga's emergency medical transporter. He wouldn't let it be upgraded at a starbase recently because he's been keeping his terminally ill daughter alive in suspended animation in its pattern buffer in hopes of finding a cure for her out in space. Number one agrees to keep his secret, too, and also to arrange a technical fix so this won't happen again. The end. So you mentioned the the ghost the title Ghost of Illyria kind of gives away that the the the, the fire creatures are the Illyrians, but I think it has a double meaning because oh, I yeah. think the ghosts of Illyria are also is also Una. She's sort of a a ghost of Illyria in hiding, um, you know, in plain sight. Maybe the fact that Illyrians couldn't join the Federation because of their augment status, and that's kind of a kind of haunting, if you will. This, right. The people on this planet, but also, of course, Una herself. Yeah, I to my mind, it's the the fire monsters colonists that are themselves the ghost of Illyria, though I can't rule out that some of the, that alternative meanings would have been in mind as well. One thing that I thought was notable about this episode is it's another in which we're questioning the we're questioning Starfleet ideology again. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. just like we, we've been, like last episode we were or an episode or two ago, we were questioning the prime directive. Now we're questioning the genetic augment rule and they're trying to flesh this out and uh, flesh out conceptually the Star Trek universe by looking at Federation ideology and trying to paint it in more complex terms. Right. Um, it's under it's certainly understandable you had a war with genetic augments that almost ended humanity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you might want to ban that. In fact, we right. probably want to ban certain forms of genetic engineering right now uh, before <laughs> in we life. get in, in yeah. real life, before yeah. we get into problems. But on the other hand, um, you have people like Julian Brashear and number one who are not hostile augments. And and, you know, you can argue, well, they regardless of how they got the way they are, they shouldn't be barred from Starfleet at this point. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting that they kind of sent us down a false trail by naming La'an, La'an, Noonan Singh, by making her a uh, descendant of Khan Noonan Singh. And they even put a, you know, put a point on that in this episode of, you know, talking about him. Yep. And yet she wasn't the augment. Right. It was Una who was the one that was talking about it. Right. You know, mm-hmm. so they kind of sent us down a false trail that, oh, this is going to come up. And it did, just not the way that we originally expected. I think La'an is, I mean, she's not an augment herself, but I, I assume she has Khan's modified genes in her. I mean, it's several generations later, so it's yeah. not going to be a lot. Yeah. But um, but I think she is historically genetically modified, which also brings up a point about the Illyrians. I mean, the mere fact, if they're not hostile and they want to join the Federation, mm-hmm. I don't care what they've done in their history with genetic modification, it's like, okay, you want to join, you don't do genetic modification going forward. Right. But if right. your current situation is working, we're not, we're not going to bar you just because of what your ancestors did with gene editing. I think it's it implied that it's an ongoing thing, that the genetic mm-hmm. modification is a thing that they continue to do. Yeah. So just stop it and you can join. Right. Well, in, 
they, they take the genetic modification a different way because instead of being, you know, with, with Khan and the other uh, super soldiers, they were, you know, to become more powerful, to be the, you know, the rulers of the world and this kind of thing. With the Illyrians, it's, they say it's to be more in harmony with the world so yeah. that they would modify themselves so that perhaps they didn't have to use as many resources or they could, you know, instead of being carnivores, they could be, uh, vegetarians right. or something like that instead of changing or terraforming planets they can uh, modify themselves to adapt to the planet breathe That's more carbon they're... dioxide instead of yeah. Yeah. yeah and and this is actually this would happen naturally for evolutionary reasons on a planet i mm-hmm. mean if you took a human population and moved it to a planet with lighter gravity mm-hmm. they would grow taller yeah. Um, and like the uh, like in Larry Niven's known space has examples of this. Um, in his case, it's not because of genetic engineering. It's just because of the environmental effects of growing up off of Earth. But his belter civilization in the asteroid belt, they're all like seven foot tall and right. way more limber than normal humans. So like you can smoke your cigarette with your foot instead of your arms. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, his Jinxians, Jinx is a high gravity moon of a gas giant. Uh, they are short and they are built like bricks. They're highly muscular and short to resist that heavy gravity. And they don't live very long as a mm-hmm. result compared to other humans. Um, but even here on Earth, we have genetic diversity based on the environments people grow up in. In um, in uh, Italy and in many parts of Africa, a lot of people are prone to sickle cell anemia. And the reason they're prone to sickle cell anemia is the same genes that give you sickle cell anemia also give you resistance to malaria. And in swampy regions and jungly regions in Italy and Africa, and yes, there were lots of swamps around Rome in ancient Italy, they've largely been drained, but um, they would have mosquitoes that would breed and give people malaria. And so people bred malaria resistant genes, which mm-hmm. also in- increased the risk of, of getting sickle cell anemia. Uh, there's a sponge diving group in um, the, I think it's, it's, it's in the Pacific. Um, it's like, I forget if it's part of Indonesia or not, but uh, there's a population there that they dive for sponges as part of their uh, as part of their living. And they can hold their breath for way longer than Mm -hmm. than normal people can. Normal people can hold their breath for like a minute, maybe two uh, without special training. It's two is really hard. But these people can stay underwater for like 10 minutes. Like, um, I can think of I can think of an example that's not quite so exotic just here on this panel. I could walk outside my house right now and be comfortable in T-shirt. If Jimmy showed up, he'd be in coat and scarf and because <laughs> it's about 55 degrees outside because um, I've, I've acclimated to cooler weather than San Diego usually gets. I, I uh, yeah, actually, I tend to be hot blooded, so I do really well in cold environments. <laughs> <laughs> So but, I mean, it's actually yeah. I mean, there's a lot of times where people come from a northern clime, they go down south mm-hmm. and it's uncomfortable, very uncomfortable for them and mm-hmm. vice versa. Whether yeah. I'd be comfortable in somebody from the south doesn't like it so much. What I noticed growing up is there's a, like a switch that gets thrown biologically where as the seasons would change, I would notice I'm getting mm-hmm. uncomfortable and then all of a sudden, oh, no, this is fine. Yeah. And it's like a switch that gets thrown. It's like, OK, I'm in my winter mode now or I'm in my summer mode now. 
55 for me, 55 in September is very different from 55 in April. You know, that uh, I get yeah. 55 in September is very cold as opposed or to how about 50, 55 in July. <laughs> right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, the world's ending, out. we're going to yeah. freeze. Yeah. <laughs> but in the idea of genetic modifications or body forming instead of terraforming is something that does come up in science fiction, because why wait generations to adapt if you've got the tech to just let's adapt mm-hmm. this now so we don't have to go, right. suffer through several generations? So another interesting concept that that this episode brings up is something that's sort of related to, to an episode we talked about on Mysterious World, which is mind control parasites. The the mm-hmm. the virus is a light transmitter virus controls their minds to make them want to be around light, therefore more transmissible. Yep. Uh, which is a, if you want to. Check that out. I forget what number that was, but that's uh, uh, a... I can find that. But yeah, yeah, mind parasites will affect your mind, including uh, people... I've said for years uh, that, um, you know, when people would come to work and say, oh, and they're coughing their lungs out and they're saying, oh, don't worry, I'm not contagious. It's like the germs want you to say that. (laughs) And that's, that's, that's literally true, except almost... It's almost literally true. It's not that, I mean, germs, obviously, by the way, this is episode 59, The Mysterious World on Mind Control Parasites. Um, They don't, they're not conscious, but their biological strategy is to get you to be around other people so they can get affected too, and they can complete their life cycle and keep their germ species going. And there, as we talk about in episode 59, there is evidence that, uh, that, that, Germs like the flu are affecting your mind because they've done studies like when people get get the flu vaccine and they have this, you know, if, if, if it's an attenuated flu vaccine, they've got little bits of the flu building up in their bloodstream. And all of a sudden, people who love to stay at home want to go out and socialize and have parties and go to bars <laughs> while the flu is building up in them. Right, right. Uh, by the way, if you want, to, if you want to listen to that episode, you can go to you can go in your uh, web browser to mysterious.fm slash fifty nine. That'll take you right to that episode. And with, with the whole thing with the the they're being attracted to the light, I actually kind of thought they were going to lead towards they're becoming like Mothman or something like that. Where the, the <laughs> I mean, because it, it's really the, the way they were people were acting. They were acting more like moss gathering around a flame. Well, Hammer yeah. almost did. We'll talk about that in a bit. But Hammer almost, almost literally did. did yeah. Literally well, did that. Actually, the um, yeah. So this is an illustration of how this virus did not co-evolve with humans. This is mm-hmm. like space Ebola. Um, the thing <laughs> about really dangerous, the the most successful viruses are the ones that do the least harm. That's why the common cold is common because it doesn't really hurt you. It's it it's inconvenient, but very few people actually like die from the common cold. You'd have to have major underlying health issues to die from the common cold. Um, and, and, and so because it doesn't really hurt you, it goes, it gets to spread widely because if mm-hmm. you're really hurting, you're going to stay home and not socialize. Um, whereas things like Ebola, which is very dangerous, 
and kills the host very rapidly, it never gets a chance to spread because the host dies so quickly. Yep. Well, it's it, this light virus clearly is in the Ebola category because it makes them want to do things that will blow up the ship and kill all of the infected people. Right. right. So th- if if this had been going on for generations with humans, then um, it would the virus would have co-evolved to be less dangerous so that it could spread more widely and not cause antimatter explosions when it infects a population of humans. <laughs> right, right. Uh, speaking of the Illyrians, we have we encountered them before in Star Trek, right? We, they were in yes. uh, Enterprise, the series Enterprise. Uh, an episode called Damage was one of yeah, them. Yeah, so this was this yeah. was during the Zindi arc, and the Enterprise was damaged, and they needed a warp coil that they tried to get from this Illyr- this Illyrian uh, ship, and they eventually stole. Okay. Yeah. Captain Archer went hardcore and just stole their warp core and stranded them in space light years from anywhere. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, was that the only one? There might have been other episodes or. That's still the only one I could see on Memory Alpha. OK. OK. Um, so that's where they, they have appeared before. And that's in canon. Um, so oh, we have. By the, by the way, yeah. before I forget, a general comment. I heard someone make this. Um, so Strange New Worlds is based on the original pilot for Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so a pilot episode is is shown to get a pickup order for a series. And so the original pilot, the cage with Captain Pike and number one and Mr. Spock mm-hmm. is, it got modified to become the original series. But now we've got an actual series based on that original pilot. And in television history, this is now the longest Distance between pilot and pickup. Yeah. 55 yeah. years between yeah, the true. pilot for the series and when it gets picked up as its own thing. <laughs> that's pretty cool, actually. I guess technically that's true. Yeah, that's that's right. Um, all right. So uh, we, you mentioned the Ion Storm. This is a Star Trek weather weird thing. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's it's a thunderstorm, and I'm guessing, uh, yeah, okay, thunderstorms involve lightning, and that involves ions, so yeah. if you want to call a thunderstorm an ion storm, I but guess this you is can. a space, space thunderstorm. And, and by the way, we recorded two episodes today that involves space storms. Because <laughs> the true. Doctor Who episode that you'll hear later, that comes out later. In a few weeks, uh, yeah. In a few weeks. Uh, that involved a space storm as well. So. That's right. If they regularly strike the planet, why does this one cause so much damage? That's my thought. But mm-hmm. may, well, it's only the most damaging one ever when they show up. Uh, so, Of course. Of course. Uh, so oh, Anson, speaking, of, speaking of when they show up, you know, yep. there was a colony of people who were genetically modifying themselves on this planet. Mm-hmm. And they've now disappeared, and you're here to try to figure out what made them mysteriously disappear. Is it really advisable to beam down on a planet without a biosuit yes. when you're investigating <laughs> the disappearance of people who are experimenting with with what you view as illegal or immoral genetic experimentation? I think we're a little too uh, confident in our biofilters and the transporter. I think it's part of the problem. As, as the episode oh, proves. Although I did really like the way they explained how the biofilter works in this episode, because at one point, um, number one goes to Hammer and says, well, could it be something that the filter didn't recognize? And so it slipped through. And he said, no, um, if it doesn't recognize it, it eliminates it. Right. So any bioform has to be recognized in order to pass through the filter, which is actually a good way to do it. But it also means a negative filter. And that's yeah. Yeah. Although it also means you're going to kill any aliens you try to bring up. 
<laughs> that. Yes, this is true. Uh, so Ensign Cannon Fodder opens this cupboard down on the uh, planet. And there's glowy bits in there, and that's always a bad thing. Um, someone someone had lit a campfire and there were sparks still or something. Uh, but that's where he gets infected. Uh, I had to say, Transporter Chief Kyle, this version of him, Mm-hmm. He he doesn't seem to know what he's doing with the transporters because every episode so far, all three of these episodes have had transporter problems where this poor guy is standing there like, I don't know what's going on. He's got this confused look in his face throughout the transporter problems has been a key plot device in all three episodes. In other words, it's just yeah. I have to point that out. Uh, yeah, we, we're dealing with Star Trek technology, not Babylon 5 technology, <laughs> right. yeah. which is a reference to J. Michael Straczynski, the creator of Babylon 5, wanted his show not to be driven by gimmicks of the week. He wanted it to be character based and mm-hmm. the plot is driven by the characters and their relationships and the political relationships between their empires and so forth. And so he made a decision in the Babylon 5 universe. Technology works right out of the box. You, right, you right. Do, we will not do stories on on malfunctioning technology. And so all of these things, I mean, we like I said in the recap at the beginning, in order for this story to work, we need transporter problems and we need communication problems. So we have right. breakdowns or something interfering with the tech. Just imagine how many how many holodeck stories we would have if the holodeck works safely. Yes. Mm-hmm. One. Well, (laughs) maybe two, maybe when they when they have to rescue Vic from a programming, something that was designed in the programming. But all almost all the holodeck stories we get involve some kind of malfunction. True. Um, And you've got your ultimate computer all the way back in the original series. That story is driven by technology malfunctions. So Star Trek is heavily dependent on technology malfunctions to get a story going every week. And and in a way, like they've kind of gone back to that same you know, well of plot device because last week it was tech, uh, communicator and transporter problems. And so I kind of hope to get away from that and kind of expand their plot devices a little bit more beyond mm-hmm. that. But well, that, that would be good. And this is, you know, and this is a younger chief Kyle than you see in, in yes. TOS. So I mean, yeah. you can give them a little bit, although, you know, this is supposed to be the flagship of the yeah. well, Federation. So you think that the transporter chief would be like, the best transfer chief in the Federation. In TOS, Scotty usually shows up and shoves Kyle aside to take over. And do yeah, right. that's true, too. So anyway, uh, everyone beams up except uh, Pike and Spock. Cause Spock has wandered off from the party and he needs to be tracked down because he doesn't have a leash on him. And uh, the away team, meanwhile, aboard starts acting strangely, looking for more light. Uh, but no, and number one gets all glowy and then stops. And I was always, and I was kind of annoyed because. When she gets the report from Dr. Mimbega that people are starting to have these weird things, she doesn't say, oh, I'm having it too. And I thought it was going to be one of those devices where, oh, here's an officer who refuses to believe that they they could get sick or have anything bad happen. But it wasn't that case. It was actually a deeper problem. So I'm glad they didn't have that trope uh, mm-hmm. there. Yeah. I, in my notes, when we hit that part of the episode, I have that she's either lying or doesn't realize how affected she's been. But in mm. maybe somewhat the latter that she doesn't realize it, but it's what we eventually learn. And the reason she gets glowy, whereas no meaning her skin turn starts glowing red. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Is because uh, she's an Illyrian and that's her immune system fighting the virus off. Right. Correct. It- 
burns it out, uh, yeah. which is interesting because it's not she doesn't produce antibodies. If we find out it's just the system. Just it's like a biofilter. It it destroys whatever doesn't belong, uh, and it it does. So there's no antibodies for her to for for them to harvest no. to create a vaccine. Yep. Another an, another um, trope that they avoided in this episode was get get somebody's pristine DNA like Kirk or Spock's and yep. who didn't get infected on the planet and run everybody through the transporter. Right, right. right. That would be another trope. Uh, I like the part of it is that uh, there's a, the people who get infected have a vitamin D deficiency. They they need light. Yeah, uh, this was this, so this was interesting. I mean, they they first say it's uh, colococalciferol, which is okay. That's vitamin D three, yeah. and then they immediately mm-hmm. say, oh, vitamin D, and and it's it it it's not scientific realism, but. But it makes sense if you if you if you have a vitamin D deficiency and exposure to sunlight can cure the vitamin D deficiency, then you could want more light of certain frequencies. Mm -hmm. Um, That could be part of the virus's replication strategy. It drives down your vitamin D level and then somehow induces you to want to go to the thing that will fix the vitamin D level so it can spread. Um, what uh, what they then did was i thought something of a missed opportunity because they establish that um lieutenant or not not lieutenant yet but cadet uhura does not have the virus even though she's living with two roommates who do and the reason they go for her is it's because she likes to sleep in a dark you know sleeping pod and mm-hmm. so she was not exposed to light well she then got exposed to light when she came out of the sleeping pod right um but what i thought would have been more interesting would be to um relate this somehow to um to uh uhura's african heritage because mm. the reason that um, that Europeans have lighter color skin is because they grew up in higher latitudes ancestrally, and so the sun the sunlight strikes the earth at an at an oblique angle uh, as the higher or the farther south you go. So there's we got our friends down in the southern hemisphere too, mm-hmm. but the higher away the the farther away from the equator you get the the less you're gonna the less you're gonna be able to utilize sunlight to um, to um to make vitamin d and so that's why northern europeans lost so much of the of the melanin in their skin melanin is a pigment that uh darkens your skin and so people who grew up in like in sub-saharan africa they've got a lot of it because they're closer and their ancestors were closer to the equator so they got more direct sunlight and they needed the melanin to block the sunlight because it has harmful effects, but um, you got less direct sunlight up in Northern Europe. And so they needed to lose the melanin so they could use the light more effectively to make vitamin D. And I thought we could have an interesting little genetics history Mm -hmm. science aspect to this plot Mm -hmm. if the fact that um, Uhura has African heritage is why or part of why she is um, resistant to this virus, but they didn't choose to go there. Yeah. yeah. I, would, I would make one caveat, though, Jimmy. You said, you know, that you get more direct sunlight at the equator than you do in the extreme north, extreme south. It's more consistent direct sunlight throughout the year. Because I would argue yeah, that yeah. right now here in Montana, I get much more, have a chance for much more direct sunlight because we're, we're approaching summer 
than they do at the equator because the, the sun is tilted more towards your or to the sun in the northern hemisphere. So, I mean, that, that's, it's, that's it, a minor, minor it, niggle, but because you're, 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 you're I'm, right. I'm it's just talking on average through the year. If, yeah, if you're on the equator, you're going to get more of the light. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's not absolutely right. But also, of course, you know, by using that where she was in the darkened uh, birth, uh, she then didn't catch the virus because the virus spreads by light. Yeah. Not through the air. But so. she came out, so she should have got it then. That's, that's a bit yeah. of an oversight but in she, the writing. But she was further behind in the yeah cycle of it so. maybe maybe yeah and and plus viruses you know they 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 don't always strike exactly how you expect to that's you know two people in the same room don't always get it exactly the same so uh we have engineer hammer and i want to i wrote a note at, at, around this point he's got this attitude that kind of comes across like arrogance but it's kind of um, fun it is arrogance well, and i'm i'm not sure how always fun it is like he's he has this line and it's one of two two lines like this in the episode. But Himmer, it, the other is Nurse Chapel, but hers is is softer than Himmer's. But mm-hmm. he's got to do this trans in order to fix the transporter problem. He's got to do some kind of whiz bang techno babble thing involving the ship's systems, which is what causes the malfunction with the emergency medical transporter that lets the light on virus on board. Um, but Himmer fixes this and it blows away Kyle and is like, how do you do that? And it's like, well, I am a genius. And yeah. Um, too much of that would be, yeah, it would become tedious. Um, well, two, we got two lines like that in this episode and that's yeah. the worst of the, of the two. The other I can kind of, the other I can kind of accept as swagger, you know, mm-hmm. Christine Chapel's line, because it's not so over the top as, well, I am a genius. Yeah, right, right. Um, like if you're that much of a genius, you would know to keep it to yourself. Yeah, it's <laughs> true. True. Well, uh, I got she was just saying it as more as a joke, anyways. Well, for her, well, yeah, hers, Himmers didn't come across as a joke. No. Yeah. Well, he he had, he had a couple of lines where you know there's one about well, you realize this can take all night. Yeah. And of yeah, course, that you was know, funny. It, it, yeah. That was funny, but at the same time, it's like, well, duh, <laughs> <laughs> do it anyways. Yeah, it's gonna be done. Uh. So at at one point, enough people have been infected that Mabenga calls for a shipwide lockdown, which, you know, gives me flashbacks. And, oh, uh, <laughs> I know. It's like, oh, yeah. got to keep those bio beds in sickbay open for new patients. Two hours to flatten the curve. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so uh, meanwhile, on the surface, Pike and Spock are taking shelter from the storm in this archive. Uh, and Spock says he's discovered reading their their journals and their blog posts that the Illyrians were seeking to demodify themselves to rejoin the Federation, as we mentioned. Uh, and this be, is about the, be, because everyone knows the Federation is so where you gotta be. It's so awesome. Right. I mean, I would have totally demodify my genetic enhancements to join it. Uh, and this is about the time when spike uh, spike, I've done it. Pike and Spock. <laughs> it's now a thing. Spike is going to be a thing. Pike and Spock see the these fire ghosts in the storm. And I do like the misdirection they're giving us here because our natural reaction to seeing fiery beings flying around in the storm is to think, oh, these are bad guys. These are the enemy. They were, And they build this up because they're trying to Pike and Spock make the same assumption. They try to barricade themselves in uh, away from the these uh, fire ghosts. 
and mm-hmm. uh, they, uh, you know they in fact end up battering down the door to get at them and, and injure Spock in the process. We we have to note briefly. I mean, he get a little scratch, yeah. but still. Um, as Pike says, if that had been, you know, an inch away, it would have hit your carotid artery. Yeah. Uh, and he's, if I had one, I'm <laughs> like, he does, yeah. apparently doesn't have a carotid as a Vulcan. So uh, all we get to see is a little green scratch. But uh, yeah. but yeah, got to see that green blood at every opportunity. At every opportunity. <laughs> uh, but it turns out they're, like you said, the Illyrians who have been modified, who are trying to protect them from the storm uh, by covering them with their fiery bodies. Uh, so uh, I like the fact that we've here. I'm made of fire. Let me lay on top of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, there's something about me you might want to know. <laughs> it feels a little warm in this little uh, oven you've created. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so there, there was this point where Hammer is go- doing his shipwide diagnostic and just checking out the medical transporter, and it was really this weird interaction that the, that at the time. Didn't make any sense. And I was I, I made a note like, like Hammer, it wants to turn things off. And Mabenga surreptitiously flips a switch back on behind his back as as Hammer yeah. leaves. And it's like Mbenga is also just freaking out about yeah. Hammer wanting to inspect his emergency medical transporter. In my notes, I have Mbenga doesn't want med transporter examined. Right. Mm-hmm. So now we have, of course, we get that explanation later, which I'm, I'm grateful for. But uh, it was kind of a, I made a note of it at this point. Um, I wondered if Mbenga was somehow like patient zero or something or not patient zero, but yeah. somehow under the influence of the light virus and was was not letting it it on and was somehow using the medical transporter for evil purposes. Right. Uh, well, it turns out Hammer was. <laughs> because yeah. Yeah. Hammer tries to beam aboard part of the planet's core <laughs> and is only stopped at the last second by Una, who <laughs> stops him. And was- he's got he's actually got a chunk of it. It's like this big, glowing, irregularly shaped ball of, of magma um, on hovering in the transporter area and he's trying to finalize its materialization he's going he as una comes in he's talking this is going to be so cool you'll want to stay and see this (laughs) 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 oh man uh so yeah that was pretty wild and uh she stops him and gets him off to sick bay Uh, and and this is our first clue that she is um She's not that, that she is seems. not a normal human because she just throws a big a big lightweight dummy of him over her shoulder yeah. <laughs> and walks down a hallway carrying him or as if he were a big lightweight dummy that a normal human woman couldn't carry right. that easily. Right. right. Uh, and that's what she she reveals to, uh, I think, in Bega and Chapel that she's immune because she got the disease and her bioengineered immune system fought it off because she's secretly an Illyrian. Now, I, I don't recall, but did the Enterprise Illyrians, didn't they have like head bump thingies? Yeah, but if you're genetically engineering yourself, you can look like whatever you want. Uh, right. Okay. So now when what, what I think fu- is in, what I think is implausible, though, is she's yep. able to join Starfleet and pass a genetic test and not have right. them realize she's an Illyrian. Well, but she will do that again in 80 years so through the same loopholes, apparently. Well, I thought of that, <laughs> but it's a, it's a having Bashir is basically I mean, is a human. He's got a human genetic code. He just mm-hmm. has certain 
genetic combinations that give him enhanced abilities, but those combinations are found in other humans. Yeah. So it's not like an artificial thing. But if you're, I mean, how do you join Starfleet and not have them know your race? Right. Right. Well, yeah, we had that Romulan. <laughs> I mean, at, at, a, at yeah. a minimum. Well, did we? Oh, well, the, the so spy, the spy in in Picard. Picard. Yeah. But but they're like Vulcans, so you know, yeah. a light genetic modification would make her seem fully Vulcan on a genetic level. I mean, I, could they? Could the Illyrians have? Built her basically to look like a human well, DNA. Well, the Klingons managed to turn um, uh, Ash Tyler into a human being through a more crude yeah, process. That, that was also not at all believable. No, um, yeah, but uh, it's it's just I'm snagging on the fact that if this is not a human being, that would show up on a mm-hmm. genetic test. And um, now they did introduce in episode one of this season of Strange New Worlds, giving people a temporary genetic modification to let them pass a cursory scan. Mm-hmm. But but this isn't a cursory thing. Number one needs to pass as human or something that Starfleet recognizes for a long time. Otherwise, she needs because if, as soon as they do a genetic test, it's going to be, OK, you're not a human. What are you? Right. And right. she's going to need an explanation. And if the explanation isn't I'm an Illyrian, which it apparently wasn't, then what was it? Was it I was found on an asteroid and no one knows what I am or what? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because um, every time you beam up, every time you get a physical, every you know, all that sort of stuff is going to. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and that's where I'm kind of leaning towards. She must have had her her DNA changed to passes human even if it's not you know 100 percent, it's close enough that it matches the the profile that starfleet is expecting and within the parameters of human yeah yeah it's possible by the way so, as she's as she's talking about all this to dr mbenga there's a moment and I, this could have been just the actor's choice um but it's a gr- i thought it was a great moment because it's the kind of thing that you might not you wouldn't expect to see in a script um, but they go into like Mbenga's office or something, number one and Mbenga. And as they go in, you know, he's just been infected and he's in the early stages. Um, but he says at some point you're going to have to sedate me because that's what they're having to do to keep these people under control is sedate them. And as they go into his office, number one is following him and his hand just goes up towards this light panel on his wall. Yep. And mm. and number one snatches his hand back down and they don't talk about it. They don't make any anything out of it. But I just love that little bit of his hand just naturally goes up to this light yep. source and she yanks it back down. Yeah, yep. it looked like he was reaching for the panel, like he was going to touch the screen and do, you know, the whole computer thingy. And But, you know, he re- keeps going above it. And that was. Yep. And there's another uh, point uh, Lon, when she f- first starts showing symptoms where she puts her hand down and then slides it to this light panel that's on the table. Yeah. yeah. And then that's when she grabs the, the desktop lamp and basically sticks her face in it. Uh, by the way, in that same scene, Mamega makes a comment about how even after, you know, he. Uh, even after people, humans went into space and meeting their neighbors in the stars, they found new bigotries, first of all, mixing human and Vulcan blood and now human and Illyrian blood. And this was a reference to an, another set of uh, Enterprise episodes where there was this uh, human faction that was opposed to mixing of the humans and Vulcans oh, yeah. and 
uh, I think uh, Peter Weller was in that one. Yes, yes. Uh, he was the leader of it. Yeah, that's the real ending to that 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 ep- like three episode arc is the real ending to uh, to Enterprise, not that fake ending holodeck yeah. where right. Trip allegedly gets killed. Yes, right, for yes, no reason. For no good reason. And in the mixing of the human in Vulcan blood was Trip and Paul who were developing a relationship. Right, 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 right. So the but so in this case, uh, Manga is re, you know responding to her concerns about using her genetic uh, uh, resistance to, uh, um, to to find a cure. Hmm? Sorry, my watch just beeped to remind me to take my vitamin D, literally. <laughs> <laughs> my, 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 doctor has pres- yeah, my doctor has prescribed that I take vitamin D on a regular basis since I sit at a desk all day and, uh, and, and I take it after lunch and this is you know, the, the late in the day. So, and, uh, and vitamin D uh, deficiency is highly correlated with COVID infection. Right. Mm. So yeah, definitely take your vitamin D, which may be another reason why that came up in this episode, because this, this episode came out, mm. uh, you know, uh, you know, post or in the midst of COVID, depending on how you look at things. Anyway, uh, La'an finds out that Una is an augment from her point of view. And La'an being a descendant of uh, Khan and unhappily so because she's been laon is laon is a self-hating augment right or self-loathing augment she's been bullied basically for it and you know suspected because of her her heritage her name uh and so that makes her reject una who she considered a friend you know her who saved her basically when she's Mm -hmm. under the influence of the light virus and trying to uh release the core she she tells she and and una fight and laon tells una you're a monster right yep and uh and that that was in the midst of that fight the radiation coming off the core as the containment is, is going down causes una to make new antibodies uh, to fight off, and that creates chimeric antibodies in La'an, and those are the ones that they then synthesize for the rest of the crew. So, yeah, uh, so we should probably clarify what a chimeric antibody would be. So antibodies are, are little bodies inside your body that fight off things. Chimeric antibodies, so something's a chimera, if it includes parts of different organisms. And so, um, so the any antibodies that number one generated if they get into laon who is a different different person they will be chimeric because they're coming from a different organism namely from number one mm. right right so the technobabble makes sense in this case <laughs> right right they did a little work and they're getting the the science in this a bit close to real uh actually the uh based on the original english definition of monster it did mean a deformed human. Mm. And so mm. um, so saying to number one, you're a monster would have been literally true in the 1300s when the word was being used that way. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, meanwhile, back on the planet where uh, Pike and Spock are just kind of hanging out, they have not been that involved in this episode, just to point out. Uh, but uh they come to Spock comes to the conclusion that the Illyrians ironically died because they'd removed their bioengineering, that the, the ones who didn't survive the, the storms, the colony has been destroyed. Uh, 
they are the ones who died because they, they removed their bioengineering and that they made themselves vulnerable, which is a bit of a sad irony. Um, mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, number one turns herself into Pike. She's going to resign Starfleet, give herself over to be you know arrested. Oh, um, in a genetic modifications episode, sorry, turned herself into Pike. I read that wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, she became a shapeshifter and took over him and threw him out an airlock and Pike is now dead. Uh, Anyway, he he rejects her resignation um, and says because of his experience, Illyrians are vastly misunderstood. And that goes back to what you're saying earlier, Jimmy, about how so far Strange New Worlds has been setting things up to really challenge Federation orthodoxies, Federation... And it's it's similar in that respect to um, to the original series, because in the original series, you know, some Federation thing would be explained and Kirk would just say, I don't care. We're doing this. Yes. And and Mm -hmm. we see that same attitude across the Enterprise crew here. Um, Not only does Pike not turn in, um, uh, Pike does not turn in. Uh, number one, and he broke the pr- the prime directive in the first episode. Um, Mbenga does not care about the fact that he would be using Illyrian DNA to save people, even though he shouldn't, according to their rules. Um, Nurse Chapel doesn't care. Um, number one does not care about how Mbenga has been breaking regulations. You've got a lot of, I don't care if you're doing the right thing. I don't care if it's against the rules or not. Ultimately, isn't this what Pike's fate is about, though? In in the end, when he goes back to Telos 4, in, in Spock brings him back to Telos 4 as a rejection mm-hmm. of this one of the, the only, in fact, the only rule that is a um, capital offense in Starfleet regulations uh, is a rejection of that rule for the sake yeah. of Pike. So yep. it's kind of interesting. I, I wonder if that's intentional all along. It, it's certainly interesting. They're 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 disregarding rules in a way that you would never see on next gen. No, and mm. or Voyager, which is weird because Voyager is in this extreme situation where you should be ignoring rules. <laughs> right. Um. I can and you'd see a little bit more of this on Deep Space Nine because of the nature of the station and Captain Cisco's management style. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but it, it, and I, I'm, I'm giving them, I I view this as a positive. Uh, So I want to give the writers credit for, it seems like they've realized this attitude was characteristic of this era of Starfleet history. Mm. And so they're, 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 they're allowing themselves to have that flexibility that writers in the original series had. So, uh, Talking about Mabenga, this is his, he's got his uh, daughter. She, I think, I don't know if they give an age, but she's young. She's maybe she's 12, 12, I think. Yeah. Uh, that's what, that's the sense I had. So maybe they did say 12, um, who has this disease that's incurable. And uh, he has, as a last ditch effort, put her in the pattern buffer. I, I'm not sure where her mom is or, you know, the rest of the family, but uh, it's an interesting open question. But he has must bis- have died in a shuttle accident because that's what happens to off-screen parents and siblings. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> um, it's He's put her in the pattern buffer, which is interesting because apparently suspended animation, you know, the stasis is with a Star Trek version of it, would not have let her survive, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. Only the pattern buffer would do it. And has been storing the, her there. And he says you can be stored in the pattern buffer uh, indefinitely if you uh, rematerialize every once in a while. And then 
And and this is one of a number of points where the writers were clearly writing around other episodes. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of this is written around Dr. Bashir's genetic reveal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, It's and here at this point, they're now writing around the Scotty uh, return visit because he was stored in a pattern buffer for 80 years and he had to do something special to make that happen. Otherwise, he would have degraded in the pattern buffer. So Mbenga is saying um, that he does periodically rematerialize his daughter to refresh her, you know, to make sure the pattern buffer doesn't degrade. And that makes sense. But what didn't make sense to me, I mean, I know why they did it. It's because they want a touching ending. But on the rational level, if you've got to rematerialize her, rematerialize her and beam her right back into the pattern buffer. Do right. not, if she's got less than 12 weeks to live, I mean, she was given, we're told she was given a 12 week lifespan once she was diagnosed with this disease. And he talked about how hard it was to watch your daughter wasting away. So obviously a good chunk of that 12 weeks is used up. And mm-hmm. it, do, it, so when you need to bring her out, go put her right back in as soon as possible. Do not tell her bedtime stories. <laughs> Right. That's true. That is true. I mean, especially I, since the only thing she's going to remember is bedtime story after bedtime story after bedtime story. Yeah, exactly. Um, I yeah. Uh, as a as a as a dad, I mean, it's very very affecting this idea that you you can't you you've got to store her. You can't be with her. She's stored in the buffer. Uh, he t- he's telling you the story, and this is what he reads from it. And I wonder if this is um. Uh, some kind of uh, foreshadowing of, of t- what's to come, or if it's metaphor for what happens in this episode, but he, it says if King Ridley would seek out the Mercury Stone and win it as his own, his victory over Queen Neve or Nev would be assured. It is said that in the right hands, the Mercury Stone has the power to cleanse the land of evil and bring prosperity to all. But if it were fall, to fall into the wrong hands, the Mercury Stone's power would bring about a terrible, long lasting dark age across the land because you would snap your fingers and half of the universe would die. Oh no, I added that part. Uh, um, but, um, yeah. yeah, I was thinking I, I've seen this story only with hobbits. <laughs> yeah, that's the mm. other one. Uh, so oh, there's a, a lot of them. Basically, this is a MacGuffin yeah. with powers for good and evil. So yes. that's loads yep. of stories. So I wonder if if it's just the story or if they're trying to say something that, that, that maybe maybe more to be said. Uh, but that's where the episode ends. Um, so we've learned a lot about Una. We've learned a lot about uh, uh, Mabenga. Um, so that's interesting in itself. Uh, before I get to like, if you have final comments, I, I just want to ask uh, uh, several of the people in our uh, discord community said that mm-hmm. this was their least favorite of the three episodes so far. It really? felt a little too much like naked time or mm-hmm. just a little too derivative of other TOS episodes uh, or TNG episodes. But uh, what did you guys think uh, about it? Uh, how did you feel about this one? Uh, I, you know, I, I will say I agree that it's of the three, the one I've liked the least. However, that's kind of like saying good, better, best. Yeah. You know, yeah, I, I enjoyed the episode. I there are some things, you know, we hear in a minute when we talk about, you know, further. But I guess I'll just mention now, you know, one, one thing I, I I'm not a fan of of all of a sudden now all these there's they're doing the back character thing where every back character has to have some some tragedy or some problem or some hidden secret okay that they that has to be affecting them you know so now now number one is a you know basically is a superwoman that's been hiding that for all these years and omega's got his daughter that he's been you know putting the ship at risk to keep her alive and things like that and it's just like did we really need those 
you know, so, right. but beyond that, um, I did. I did enjoy the episode. It, 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 the first thing I did write down is naked time, but attracted delight. I mean, that was the first <laughs> thing I wrote down on my notes. Right. Right. How about you, Jimmy? How do you feel about this episode? I don't know that I'm in a position yet to to rank the recent episodes. I'm still getting a feel for this series. And it's something I've discovered a long time ago, actually with music first, was um, that I often don't appreciate something on first listen. And I need to hear it a few times before I get what the what what the artist is doing. Um, and so I I I I I know that happens with me with music and it tends to happen with other things, too. Um, I don't hate I mean, I can make a judgment usually pretty quickly. Do I hate this or not? And I don't mm -hmm. hate this. I like this. I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty creepy as an episode. I mean, some of the some of the things they do with um, with the light virus are are effective. I mean, and they have a nice build with it. Like the first guy, um, Lieutenant Redshirt, uh, who gets mm -hmm. infected when he beams up to the ship and Ortegas encounters him staring at a light fixture in the hallway. He's he's like, you know, obsessed with this light and he's getting this light on his hands and, and his face. And then suddenly he headbutts the light and breaks the glass. And it's like, yeah. wow, did not see that coming. And then when number one goes into the I mean, we have other people like caressing light bulbs and putting lights to shine directly into their face like those hooded desk lamps. Mm -hmm. um, and and then number one comes into the transporter room and Hemmer has this glowing thing <laughs> hovering there in midair. And then the ultimate threat, you know, we're, we're releasing the containment on the warp core, you know, it's this nice build and it's creepy. Right. So I, I was processing this. I mean, I recognize, you know, some of the things structurally they're doing, like in this series, we're getting our let's meet the crew, you know, instead of just focusing on the main characters, you know, Pike, number one in Spock. Um, and that's fine. Um, that's one of the criticisms I had of Discovery was it was too much about the main character. Who are these people I see every week on the bridge? I don't know their names. Like I knew Uhura's name and Chekhov's name and Sulu's name. Hmm. So they're they're taking the opposite approach from Discovery. And and that's fine. Although I do understand that some people I've heard it criticized that I would rather learn more about the central characters at this point. And that's that's, you know, a fair difference. But I I don't know that I can rank these yet um, because that's a finer judgment than do I like it or not. Mm. I like mm. these episodes, um, including this one. I just took it as a horror. You know, we're in a haunted house type episode and mm -hmm. and, I, and it worked for me. OK, so any final notes, Father Corey? Nothing here. I kinda got it out. So, um, yeah. So I don't know that I would have made number one an Illyrian. Um, because I've always mm -hmm. thought of her as a human. Uh, but the fact she's an augment would explain some of her weirdness. Because even <laughs> even from her appearance in The Cage, where she was played by Majel uh, Barrett, later, later Majel, Majel Barrett Roddenberry, she's been weird. I mean, mm -hmm. not weird in a way that she's inhuman, but she's just been weird and and having her be an augment, you know, can uh, can explain that. So I, I can accept that. I, I probably wouldn't have made her an Illyrian, though, but it does work in the context of this story. Um, one thing that she did at the end where she's talking to her personal log is she's admitting her genetic status 
And worse, she's talking about the fact that Pike is covering for her now. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, do not say this to a machine. Do not ever say that out loud in a technological environment. <laughs> right. Um, you know. Uh, Alexa's listening. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but at least she did. And this is another thing that I think was in the writer's minds in the pale moonlight in Deep Space Nine is all mm-hmm. a log entry where Captain Sisko admits to committing war crimes. Right. And mm-hmm. and he's telling his log entry to get it, his log to get it out of his system. And at the end of the episode, he deletes the entry. Right. And so for, so as I'm watching Una talk to her log, I'm going, you should not be saying this. And and finally, at the end, she says, computer, delete log entry. So it's like, whew, we step back from <laughs> the brink of idiocy there. <laughs> yep. Um. One last thought. Now, you may wonder, how could a light, how could a virus spread by light? I mean, how could light have an effect on behavior in this way? Well, it turns out that there's something known these days as biophotons. Um, this is something we have fairly recently discovered. Um, now, it's, it's been known for a long time that all matter generates electromagnetic energy. So we have electromagnetic energy coming off of our bodies at a low level all the time. But specifically, our bodies make biologically generate photons, and we're not sure how, and we're not sure why. That's but cool. it, the biophotons seem to be connected with communications between our cells. And they may like be involved in healing processes and things like that, but they seem to be involved in transmitting information between our cells. Um, I have heard and read it reported that like barn owls, sometimes you see them at night and they seem to glow because of biophotons they're giving off. But biophotons happen are released by lots of species, including our own. And I I know a guy who is studying uh, biophotons, um, who's doing laboratory experiments where they have this like super darkened room that's like double sealed from light to keep any photons from getting in. And they have a photon, very sensitive photon measurer, measuring device in the dark room. And then they bring people in and study how their biophotons change depending on what they're doing. And they find that like people who meditate or who are martial artists who are meditating or who are psychics that try to heal people will generate more biophotons when they're doing their thing. And wow. so so given that biophotons seem to be involved from other research in terms of cellular communication, it you could have a, a kind of not biogenerated photon, but bioactive photon pattern that uh, that this virus uses to spread itself through cellular cellular communications. Oh, interesting. By the way, I just had a thought um, when you were talking about uh, Majel Barrett. Mm-hmm. I realized there are three characters in Strange New Worlds that were all formerly played by Majel Barrett. <laughs> yeah. Una. Yep. Christine Chappell. Yep. And the computer. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So this is a very mutual Barrett. She's, she's the ghost of the Enterprise in this case. <laughs> awesome. Uh, all right. So here's our feedback. We have some great feedback coming up from uh, for our first bit is from our last episode where we talked about Children of the Comet. And Heather M. on our Discord community uh, shared. Uh, we just watched episode two. Love it. The forehead of the week is back. I love the design of the shepherd. 
I love the crew being in an impossible predicament and seeing how they show their personalities to work together, except Mustache Kirk. He was basically useless. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's turning into a breakout character anytime soon. No, I, no, I think no. I think he's the one that's most likely to be regarded as a as a serious misstep. Right. Uh, she says, uh, Uhura was a standout, just like the guy said on the last podcast. They're choosing a character each week to reveal yeah. a little more about. I'm the guy. Yes, yeah. Jimmy is the guy. Yeah. Uh, we, we gave you a, a ditto on that. We yeah. agreed. Yes, perfection. Uh, I haven't actually haven't seen a lot of TOS, but I've read several TOS novels. Good stories that break the limits of what they would have been able to do with TV at that time. That's what this episode felt like. A weird one-off alien encounter and a stressful situation that leads to solid character moments. Yes, yeah. I agree. Um, yeah, there were some great TOS novels that really went beyond what could ever have been done on TV. Uh, one that stands out for me is, is a novel by Diane Duane called The Wounded Sky, mm -hmm. uh, which had some ultra alien creatures that would have been impossible to do in TV even back in the 80s. Uh, so, uh, it, yeah, it, it really feels like that, that they've really been able to step out beyond it. Uh, we also had some feedback uh, on this episode, which not our discussion, but on the ghost of Illyria itself uh, that we got in. And we, we'd love to get that feedback. Actually, if you, if you want to send us feedback before we've talked about it, that's fine. Just after you've watched the yeah. episode. Uh, this one came from Joseph, who sent an email who said, I just watched the episode. I was prepared to dislike it. It felt kind of disjointed at the start. I find that happens when episodes rely heavily on para canon material. To be honest, I don't really know much of, of the backstory or lore about Illyria. Uh, but as we discussed, uh, the Illyria was actually in canon in the uh, in Enterprise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but boy, howdy, did this episode come through? It was a detective story on so many fronts. What happened to the colonists? Where did the fire monsters come from? How did this disease get onto the ship? And each of these had a very satisfying resolution. But moreover, the personal and interpersonal character development was well written and then acted and directed and edited into an engaging and edifying whole. Pike's assurance of Una, Una's assurance of Mabenga, Una and Laan's confrontation in the mess hall, and the hooks at the end, Una's log entry, and Mabenga's stolen moments with his daughter. I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about this episode, but I gotta tell you, I'm gobsmacked to say that Strange New Worlds has perhaps displaced TOS from the top of my list of favorite series. Wow. That is high praise. That's high especially praise. Especially after three episodes. I'm, I'm not sure. My favorite series is DS9. I'm I'm not prepared yeah. to say that yet. That has seven seasons. Yeah. This has three episodes. But yeah, but it's only got three, four and a half good ones. <laughs> right, well, yeah. the four and a half good seasons. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we'll see where we'll see where it goes. But uh, thank you both, Joseph and Heather, for your feedback. And I say that as DS9 is my favorite too. I just acknowledge yes. the first. You know, the it 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 takes a few seasons to really get get engaged with its ultimate main plot that's right right and I, I'm, I'm with i'm with you jimmy at least as far as ranking this entire series where where it ranks you know not maybe not so much individual episodes but i, I definitely have to wait and see how the series goes because we, we've seen series and seasons where they went downhill very quickly discovery um <laughs> right. and that didn't exactly start from a high point to begin with so yeah well discovery started off not so good got good in its second season and a little Okay, it, it, well, got good in the second season, and then went downhill again in the third and fourth. <laughs> well, or it, it, it time jumped off a cliff, basically. <laughs> yeah, right. Anyway, uh, thank you uh, all for your feedback. 
Before we go, we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create Secrets of Star Trek, including Father Colin W., Colin, Colleen T., David M., Russell Y., and John K. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the Secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Uh, so that's it from us. We'd love to hear what you think of Ghosts of Illyria or the next episode. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash Trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash StarQuest Media. You can send an email to Trek at sqpn.com or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash Discord. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next new episode of Strange New Worlds called Memento Mori. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you, and I'm afraid I have to resign my SQP in commission because I have a secret I've been hiding from everyone. <laughs> Despite all appearances, I actually am a human. <laughs> Jimmy is not a Time Lord. And once again, well, I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> and once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on Star Quest, and remember. Don't thank me. I know I'm good at my job. <laughs> <laughs>